Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. As you can see and you'll hear in a moment, it is all hands on deck from the start here on this episode. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen with me. We've got a lot to cover between now and Saturday noon kickoff in Columbus. These guys will be out there. Uh, 24-7 sports coverage has been fantastic leading up to this one. It will continue that way. It hasn't just been us here at the at the local level. There's also been a ton of national coverage. Uh, Chris Hummer weighed in with a story, uh, a nice topical story today on Ohio State versus Penn State and the Nittany Lions trying to close that gap. Our good friend Josh Pate will be making the trip to Columbus to help set the stage for this one on Saturday as well. So a lot coming your way, but here on our Thursday podcast, we do our best to try to get things uh everything that we kind of have in our notebook out in the open. And that starts with that Wednesday night look at Penn State practice, Wednesday evening. We had a chance to see that. And, fellas, we saw J.B. Nelson out there, not only out there, but participating and the first left guard involved. Mark, to be able to bring this kind of offensive line on the road, Phil Troutwine had two separate groups of five men operating in tandem, you know, working in sync against two different scout team looks. It was the first team offensive line that appeared to feature J.B. Nelson when we watched it, and then the second team offensive line. To be able to be in this position midseason, going on the road, you think about where they were last year, down two starters, banged up elsewhere, would eventually be without Olu Fashnu by the time that game ended. This feels like a very, very notable development midweek. Yeah, it obviously stinks that Landon Tangwell, you know, had to had to hang up, um, you know, his cleats. But we talked early in the season about the depth of this team, and we talked about it earlier this week when we weren't sure if we would see J.B. Nelson and about how this is where it really pays off. Well, now not only is it, is it paying off, Tyler, but you're in a situation where you know you have J.B. Nelson uh, coming back from injury, but now you have Vega Ioane, who's played a ton of snaps the last couple games, and now you have Nick Dawkins, who was able to rep at both guard spots. So what was already a very deep position, and again, you know, it, it stinks that you lose a kid, uh, you know, due, due, to, to, due to injury, uh, had to hang it up for his career. But now all of a sudden, it, it looks even deeper. And listen, I don't think we have to look too far into last season's game to see what a difference the banged up offensive line ha- had to do. I mean, I was looking through photos and um, was it Bryce Effner who was out there? I mean, I forget. Was it that last year, two years? Well, regardless, you know, it, it, you need to be in, in as good a position as you could be in against this caliber of opponent with, the, with this caliber of defensive line and this caliber of defensive line men. And I think that they are. I think they're in a really good spot. Sorry to cut you off there. I was just going to say Daniel kind of did a nice job when, when he was on the call with Olu today or, or earlier this week and, and laid that out for our Lions 24-7 subscribers of kind of where that offensive line was, where Olu was last year in that Ohio State game. And it is a stark contrast. I mean, no disrespect to where Bryce Effner ended up by, by season's end last year. He was a very important piece of the puzzle for them during that win streak. Started at right tackle for the final five games, but he was thrown into the fire in a significant way and feasted upon uh, in a significant way as well. And then you had uh, Hunter Norzad banged up, playing some left guard as well. And as we mentioned, Olu himself is an observer by the time this one ends. And So, Daniel, take us back to that spot just a little bit and then share your thoughts on, on what they're taking to Columbus up front. I mean, it, it's very stark, uh, you know, how different uh, you know, this offensive line looks this year as opposed to last year. Um, and I think on top of it, you you also have to factor in the the level that some of these players are playing at. You know, 
it's not just that you have Caden Wallace at right tackle instead of Bryce Efner. It's that you have Caden Wallace playing at an improved and, and much better level. You know, I thought on the message boards earlier Thursday, Tyler, you, know, you answered a question from someone about how Caden Wallace was performing this year and did a very nice job of kind of laying things out uh, with, with an assist from pro football focus. Um, but, you know, I think that when you look at, you know, what this offensive line was last year, you know, I think that, you know, James Franklin going into the 2022 season, he said, I'm going to stop talking about the offensive line. They have to prove it. You know, when we were at this point, you know, I think that was October 29th, I believe last year, you know, the offensive line hadn't proven it yet, um, you know, going into that Ohio State game. Um, and I think that, you know, coming out of it, you had a lot of questions just because you let one player get loose and just a couple crucial junctures um, and really change the complexion and change the outcome um, of that game. And so, you know, I think by the end of the year, I think that that offensive line had really proven itself. Um, you know, you saw guys, I think, really, really develop, you know, especially once Hunter Norzad got healthy down the stretch. Um, you know, Sal Wormley spent a lot of time out there. You know, Bryce Efner was solid by the end of the year. And then you got Caden Wallace back in the Rose Bowl, you know, not to mention Drew Shelton, you know, really holding it down in a tough spot on the left side. And of course, Drew Scruggs kind of serving as, as the linchpin at center center of all of that. Um, but I think that, you know, at this point in the season last year, you still had some questions. Uh, you know, you were still kind of waiting to see, you know, if the offensive line could hold up, um, you know, against an opponent of Ohio State's caliber. Um, and I think where Penn State is going into the game this year, you know, it, it's very stark. And I think a big thing is just the amount of experience that they have, you know, the amount of reps that these guys have gotten both down the stretch last year and early in the season. And then on top of that, the reps that the depth has gotten. Uh, James Franklin said that, you know, Vanga Ioane is still going to play um, at guard. And, you know, we saw them you know, use that rotation with Nick Dawkins. Um, and I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the hierarchy of the offensive line. And, you know, maybe in the preseason, Nick Dawkins was kind of below that cutoff of the top, you know, whatever, however we do it. But I think he's moved himself up into that. So, you know, I think that they're very deep, um, you know, and they're you know very ready, I think, for for this challenge on Saturday. They will tell you they have seven starters. That includes Shelton. That includes Ione. Uh, and now I think that they have this you know, fringe kind of guy now with Nick Dawkins, who because of the reps that he's been able to accrue through the first half of the season, because of the, the, the makeup he has us also, they recruited him for a reason. It's just taking some time because one reason or another, he's in year four now. Uh, where he's a viable option. So for you to be able to go down the list of eight names at this stage of the season without even have to enter freshman territory, and by the way, three of these freshmen, freshmen uh, Chim Diono, Javen Williams, Anthony Donka, they have all each played more snaps to this point in the season than Drew Shelton had played to that point in, in the 2022 season, and he ended up starting five games. So to Mark's point, you're you're getting seasoning for some of these guys because you're maximizing the situation. You're, you're, you're missing out on starters, but you're feeding a lot of reps to players. And something else you guys said that I think really stands out is, yeah, Caden Wallace, I think people are accustomed to him in the Big Ten. They think they've got him figured out. Probably a lot of Penn State fans still feel like they have him figured out. Thus far, the six-game sample, sample size, you can't really argue with the improvements, whether it's anecdotally with the conversations we've had with people at Penn State's facilities, really going back to when he showed up for winter workouts with the mindset he had, but carrying over into preseason camp and through these six matchups, the physicality improvements, and really his pass-blocking abilities. But none of us are going to put 
firmly two feet on that bandwagon of Caden Wallace having arrived until he gets through these 60 minutes of football, right, guys? I mean, it, it, it's just one of those spotlight players here in the matchup, and we'll get to our players of the game later, our players to watch later. And I think I was going to go with Caden Wallace, but I guess I might as well figure someone else out. just feels like that spotlight's on him. It's a prove-it moment, um, for maybe as much as for anybody on this roster. And it's just, Mark, that's one of the themes here uh, through game six as we look ahead to this matchup is – how much can you trust from a 6-0 start? Can you trust that Caden Wallace has taken this significant step forward? Can you trust uh, that that the, the offensive line isn't going to be giving up sacks and bunches now that the, the Big Ten test gets tougher? Or, you know, is this something that starts to fade away a little bit and the 6-0 magic, you know, as you get deeper into the season and you look in the rearview mirror and you say, well, that was a little bit fool's gold. We can't answer that now, but I think it's fascinating. Well, yeah, and maybe some people don't want to hear it, but when you lose six straight games to a team, mm -hmm. it's kind of like show me in all facets. I mean, not not just in in what we're talking about. I mean, it's you know you've you've proven that you can't quite get over that hump. Uh, you've been very close at times, but do you have what it takes to get to that next level? I will say this: that I don't know that this schedule could have played out better for Penn State in terms of keeping guys healthy, keeping them fresh, limiting snaps. You know, I know I'll go back to what I said earlier in the week when, you know, last week somebody said to me, and if you missed a pot earlier in the week, you know, do you think it's going to be an advantage for Ohio State that they've played in a close game or a couple close games if you throw Indiana in there? Parts of the Maryland game were, were relatively close. And I said, well, geez, Penn State was in close games prior to the Ohio – Ohio State games the last six years, and it didn't seem to help them in any of those. So I don't know. For me, if I'm the coach, I would rather be fresh. I would rather be deep. I would rather have, uh, you know, been able to get all these different players, all these snaps on the road to 6-0, and and then you're able to get that bye weekend at kind of a perfect time to let everybody take a step back and uh you know self-scout self-analyze and then you come out with was with with what was basically a scrimmage against umass and listen everybody's playing those games i don't think anybody has to apologize for that but i think the way this has played out has been really good for penn state you know we're talking about a guy like caden wallace but you know i would also say uh harrison wallace i mean you know there's a situation where he was able to come back and and, and knock some rust off and play 50 snaps according to your rundown i mean yeah sure he had a fumble but much better to have that against umass than to have it in the horseshoe right so maybe get that out of your system but i think that's just another area where we talk about the health of this team and again knock on wood for penn state and every team that they all stay healthy but going into this one it looks like penn state does have an advantage in overall team health Khalil Dinkins was back at practice. He was not available for the last game listed as out in the pregame availability report. That meant a, a lot of work uh, comparatively uh, for An uh, Andrew Rapelier as the third tight end in that matchup. We think Rapelier is going to still stay the redshirt course if Dinkins is available. It looks like that will be the case. And Dinkins has been utilizing those three tight end sets on, on short yardage situations where, where you're going to see Drew Aller pretty much run the football or get pushed over the line of scrimmage. Uh, Daniel, Mark referenced the health. We've talked about it. Good news for the offense that you get Harrison Wallace back in the fold. He certainly, I thought, looked the part in, in having that trust rapport with Drew Aller again. That's what we saw early in September. And then we, we just talked about what you're getting back with J.B. Nelson, how that changes things for the offensive line. But it's not really just about the injuries. It's about the mileage they avoided along the way because of all these blowout wins. And 
all these defenders will tell you how fresh they're feeling. And then the, the question from the Warriors out there and from some of us in the media out there is, well, what does it look like when they've got to play four quarters, four full quarters and that pressure's on? No one seems concerned about it in Penn State facilities. They think that this team will be up to the task. And Curtis Jacobs says they're always prepared if they play four quarters. They'd prefer to do it if they could. But then the coaches say, you know, come to the sideline. They call the dogs off. What do you make of the defense now that it's go time here and and, and that they're going to have to, we'd imagine, go all the way in Columbus? Well, that's what your your off-season conditioning is for and, and your off-season workouts. You know, I think over the summer, that's where you really – put in the work to get to the point where you're able to play four quarters. Um, so, you know, I don't really have any, any worry about this defense, you know, having to be, you know, in, in that situation. And, you know, even if they were to play, you know, have, have to go wire to wire with what is ostensibly the first team. I mean, there's so much rotating that happens, you know, just to begin with, um, you know, you see like you'll finish a game and Kaziah Izzard and Devon Lees are the top rep getters at defensive tackle, you know, and they didn't start. Um, you know, we've seen all the different combinations that Manny Diaz uses at linebacker. You know, we've seen what Terry Smith and Anthony Poindexter have done in the secondary, um, you know, with getting guys in and out. And so, you know, I, you know, this is going to be a wire to wire game. You know, James Franklin said last night that he expects it to be a one possession game um, just because of where the talent levels are and, you know, the, the stakes of the game. And, you know, so we're going to see those guys play a lot of snaps, but, you know, I think that they're ready. I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, they've gone wire to wire last year. You know, they know what it takes. They know what they need to do to go all four quarters. And I think the fact that they haven't been, you know, they haven't been used a lot this year. I think it's going to help. I mean, they're fresh. Um, you know, it kind of goes into that thing with like Mark mentioned where, you know, not seeing them in a close game, you know, does that make you think that, um, you know, they can handle a close game. It's like, you know, not seeing them go four quarters. Does that make you think that they can't go four quarters? You know, I, I think that they can because, you know, that's the type of athlete that Penn State recruits. You know, that's the work that they put in in the offseason, you know, with those conditioning programs and, and with those workouts. So, you know, I think that the way that these first couple of weeks have gone is going to serve this defense very, very well because, you know, not only are they probably going to have to go four quarters against Ohio State, it's going to be four quarters chasing around a bunch of four and five star athletes um, on that field with with the offense that Ryan Day and Brian Hartline have. So, you know, I think that Penn State's ready. Um, you know, I think that this is a game that they've definitely had circled on the calendar since the beginning of the season. You know, I think it's one that has probably been really circled for the past three or four weeks when you consider going Northwestern by week UMass um, on the schedule. So, you know, I think they're champing at the bit to get out there. Um, and, you know, when it's when it's time to go, you know, they're going to be able to go and sustain it. The individual statistics defensively for Penn State are extremely bizarre. Uh, Curtis Jacobs is the only guy over 20 tackles at this point. I think I was leading tackler in that matchup, still had about as many tackles as Curtis Jacobs has on the season through six games. They've got 15 guys, I think the number is, with 10-plus tackles. And whoever has been on the field, the standard has been upheld. I think that's what James Franklin references a lot when they um, you know, really evaluate these games that are 63 to nothing, they try to nitpick. It's what happens toward the end of those games. And the comprehensive work that this defense has put in, number one in the Big Ten in sacks, number one in the Big Ten in rush defense, number one in the Big Ten in pass defense, number one in the Big Ten in total defense, uh, 193 yards per game surrendered, which is 40 yards better 
than the next team up at Michigan. And things are going to get a whole lot different here on the road in Columbus. But we expect the defense to hold up in its end of the bargain. Many Diaz to go deep. And the part of it is how much does Diaz play the role here, Mark? Uh, I mean, James Franklin hit a home run. I think there's no doubt about it at this point based on a season and a half and bringing in the former Miami Hurricanes head coach. But it feels like every time we've talked to Diaz about this defense, and we did so during the bye week, anytime we talk to the players about, hey, what haven't we seen yet? You know, what what are what aren't we, you know, what's lies ahead here? The the new wrinkles, there's a bit of a smirk involved. And I'm curious to see if that curtain gets pulled back a bit, because this is the time to do it. Let's not really you know, aside from the fact that it's a national showcase game and there's a very small margin of error, you've also got a first year starting quarterback who yeah, you know, he's played at Notre Dame, but he's still racking up his early tests in his career as well. Yeah, I read something from Heather Dinich on ESPN today that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, she's a very good reporter. Actually worked for the CDT for a time and, and covered Penn State, but uh, she had a chance to talk to Manny. Was it her or, or Rittenberg? Regardless, one of them talked to, talked to Manny. And, uh, you know, I, I, one of the points that he made is that one of the real keys against playing a team this good is that not to let them know where you're coming from. I mean, and what have we seen from this Penn State defense? When, when it comes to pressuring the quarterback, you know who's going to be getting after the quarterback. I mean, Cam Miller had two sacks in a game, right? So you have a backup quarterback with two sacks in a game. And was it two first sacks? First time in 31 years, Mark. First yeah. time in 31 years a defensive back has had a, two sacks in a game. So you're putting that on tape. I mean, you know, and I know that's kind of cliche. You're putting something on tape, but you know, when you're the the offensive brain trust at Ohio State, you have to really pay attention to that. And you have a don't forget, you have a first year starting quarterback there, another guy who's played extremely well. But but those are the things that I, I think in year two under Manny Diaz we're starting to see more of these different options. I mean, we saw a little bit of that three defensive end stuff last year, but we're seeing much more of it. They started the last game in nickel. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get from play one to the last play of the game. The two guys that I would really keep an eye on, though, because I think they could be tested with respect to the number of snaps they're going to see are Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. I, I think they are so important at those positions and Abdul being able to play kind of that Mike and the Prowler and whatnot, as well as, as, as the other spot. But I just think they're so important and I'm not questioning their fitness because I'm, I'm sure these guys are extremely fit, but they haven't played a ton of snaps. And I could see both of those guys being asked to play, you know, 60 snaps or something crazy in this game, just because, those two spots and that's not no offense to Dom DeLuca or or, or Rojas or or anybody else I just think that those guys are at a, a little bit different level and when you're playing some of those specialty packages they're just the guys who aren't quite as replaceable to me as some of, of the other people and that may be coming across wrong I don't mean mean anybody's you know replaceable these guys were all valuable players but in terms of what they kind of bring to the table and, you know, they were for, they've been fortunate enough to limit them in most games. But I think you could see those two guys taking a gigantic boost in, in, in snaps this week. I feel like your base defense is Abdul Carter, Curtis Jacobs, Daquan Hardy, Kalen King, Johnny Dixon. There's going to be six moving pieces around those. But those five guys, in my mind, in this matchup, 
probably not going to be leaving the field very often. We'll see if Daquan Hardy does some damage as a punt returner too. That's something we'll get into a little bit later here. Um, but defensively, uh, let's put that aside for now. We'll, we'll review it in the post game and see how it came out the other side. Um, but offensively, a big conversation piece this week nationally is a lot of people directing their attention towards Drew Aller. And you figured that would be the case if Penn State got here to 6-0 and and he was playing good football and he was going home to Ohio that this would be a national, you know, buzzy kind of topic. And it has been uh, here for Drew Aller. And I know James Franklin is doing his best to make sure the circle, the, they're circling the wagons and making uh, having this kind of an incubated environment for their quarterback preparing for this big test. Uh, but I got to say, this just doesn't feel like they're taking a kid quarterback to Columbus, Daniel. I mean, I, that was part of the questions we all had, I think, in August, is what kind of a Drew Aller will we see? And when you see the numbers, 15 total touchdowns, no interceptions, that looks great. But it's a lot of the stuff that that doesn't reflect in the box score, the body language, the throwaways. Uh, I guess that's reflected in the incompletion. But, I mean, the, the, everything that we have seen uh, and heard about in terms of his ball security and decision-making and that ability to move the passing pocket. I think you've got to attribute some of that success in allowing the, the fewest sacks in the Big Ten to his ability to manipulate the pocket and avoid some of those things where another quarterback might crumple, might get brought down. So with number 15 in there, I know you've written at least one story this week. I don't know if you've got another one brewing for us, Alliance247.com, but what's your take on where he stands heading home? Yeah, I think when you look at Drew Aller this year, the – the intangibles obviously are are off the charts, and you know I think that what you brought up uh, in terms of the the pocket movement, um, you know the the throwaways, you know that's not quite intangibles. I guess that's more less tangible stuff because that also doesn't really come through on the stat sheet. Um, you know that's just been very solid. I mean, I think that he goes to Columbus as as a quarterback with just a, a very very solid floor, um, you know, and I think that. You know, he has his two road starts have been, you know, not his best, um, you know, against Illinois and Northwestern. He didn't exactly light it up, um, but at the same time, he didn't make any backbreaking mistakes and he had Penn State, you know, in the position to win um, and, you know, win handily. So you know, I, I think he goes to he goes back to Ohio just in a, a very, very good position, um, you know, talking to him this week. He seemed very, very locked in. Um, with everything that he said, um, you know, I think that you know, he did a good job you know, of redirecting a lot of the questions about going home to Ohio and, you know, what that would mean to him and, uh, you know, some stuff about his recruitment with regards to Ohio State. And, you know, he did a good job of redirecting it back to, to what he needed to. But yeah, at the same time, I think that, you know, he he knows that this game is a little bit different. He knows that there's stakes and, you know, he, he acknowledged that a little bit, you know, he talked about his, the group chat with some of his high school friends and teammates, you know, going off this week and, you know, those sorts of things. So, you know, I think he's aware and I honestly think that's good. You know, I think, you know, we heard that from a couple players this week, you know, Kalen King said it last night, um, you know, Nick Singleton said that he's excited to play in this type of game. Um, I think that there's kind of the, the unspoken thing where it's, I think actually Drew Aller said this, where it's, you know, guys go to Penn state to play in games like these guys go to Ohio state to play in games like these. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's a lot of excitement around it. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot about one and oh, but I think sometimes it's good to acknowledge that, you know, th this isn't UMass, this isn't Delaware, this isn't even Iowa, you know, this is Ohio state, you know, there's a lot at stake right now. Um, but, but going back to Drew Aller, I mean, I think that, he just seems very in, in control with everything that he does. He never really seems to get sped up. 
I think that's really going to be tested uh, against this Ohio State defense on Saturday because of some of the talent and some of the athletes. But we're going to come out of Saturday just knowing so much more about him as a quarterback in in either direction. Um, and he also strikes me as the type of player that even if this is a loss, I think that there will still probably be things that we come out with, you know, feeling better about him um, and, and knowing more about him. But, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. Uh, I think I said it on a pod earlier this week, you know, watching the, the Fox NFL games over the weekend and the promo uh, for Big Noon Saturday. It's a lot of Drew Aller. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to get the opportunity to get introduced to him and, and really learn a lot about him, and including us. And, and with the native son narrative this week, you'd think that Penn State wasn't sending out an Ohio native at quarterback the last four times these teams met. <laughs> but of course, the big difference there was Sean Clifford was not the number one quarterback recruit in the country. Uh, and, and Sean and was also Drew born Aller, in Illinois, as he would, yeah, as he would well, tell you. And, and, well, Drew Aller, Mr. Ohio football, as we all know. Um, and if they pull this off and, and he ends up coming home with a win, uh, and, and getting out of Ohio Stadium at 7-0 and as a starting quarterback for the Nittany Lions, everyone can redirect a little bit of that joy on Saturday toward Quinn Ewers because he basically threw a grenade in Ohio State's quarterback plans. They had such a good thing going for years where they could rotate, and I don't want to shortchange what Kyle McCord is or can be for them, and we'll learn a lot more about him against this Penn State defense Saturday, but Quinn Ewers has looked apart at Texas for the most part, and he was the number one quarterback recruit in the country. Supposed to be the guy before Drew Aller's a year. He reclassifies. It, it, it just it was a really interesting thing. It, he ends up preceding Aller to campus and uh, and and leaving before really Aller even takes off as a recruit. So uh, we'll make sense of, of all that down the road. This won't be his first go round against the Buckeyes, I don't think. But it, it's a big it's a big part of the conversation here. And another part of the conversation, Mark, is the offensive identity. Now we we know more about this quarterback week by week. But we're starting to get a feel for, I think, where the rapport is. You know, Harrison Wallace is back. You see it pick up right back uh, from the from the jump with them last week. Uh, Keandre Labor Smith has been his dialed up guy on when it matters the most. Theo Johnson starting to gain some momentum of, of late. Tyler Warren's been a target throughout. So you've got the foursome of, of guys that it feels like he has the comfort level with, and he's growing that week by week. What do you make of the offensive identity and how the ground game fits in? Well, they've committed to the ground game, which is what I like. I mean, even though it hasn't produced the explosive plays that I think a lot of people would would have hoped at this point, but you know, as it stands, they're they're leading the Big Ten in rushing yards per game, and I, I think overall carry. So, you know, I think Mike Yurcich has been smart enough to realize that if you're going to win some of these big games, that ground game is going to have to come into play. I still, you know, last week. I was really looking for 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 more flashes from Nick Singleton, and I I just don't think we've seen it. And even with Katron, I thought more of his, his. You know, he's always been that tough physical runner, but to to me, that was more you know rugby piles moving that that down the down the field. And I don't know that that's going to work against this particular team. So I think they just have to stay true to what they've been doing, and hope that at some point you're going to pop a longer run or two. We've seen it from Singleton. We know that it's there. We've seen Penn State backs do it at Ohio State or against Ohio State. Uh, so I just think I, I think that part is, is important. But I do think we will see um, – I think we're going to see more 
not complicated. Uh, I just I think some of the deep shots they take in this game may be some of the things they've been keeping in their back pocket, and and rightfully so. So does that maybe loosen things up and give you an opportunity to break a couple more of those long runs? But I do, you know, as I look at this team, you know, two weeks ago, the biggest question mark to me was special teams. But now I still think the, the, the biggest question mark is, is this team going to be able to go out in a four-minute drill and chew up clock and, and just pound a ball down another team's throat? And I just don't know that we could confidently say that at this point. I'll be more than happy if they prove me wrong and say, yeah, look what happened. But I don't know that anybody could confidently say that at this point. And again, I just don't think Nick Singleton has looked like the back he was last year. Maybe he was overthinking it. Maybe just has to let the game come to him. Uh, But this is going to be an opportunity. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's going to be playing in the fourth quarter of this game. If he's not, you know, it's either going to be really bad or really good. But if he and Catron Allen get their opportunities in the fourth quarter, let's see if maybe that's where they could break it long because the, the, the opposing defense is a little tired. 14 total fourth quarter carries for that tandem through the first six games of this season. Uh, a different look, you'd imagine, on Saturday. Um, and, and look, you think about these running backs going up against Ohio State's linebackers, and it's been a big year of improvement for the most part for this Buckeyes defense after some embarrassing moments the last couple of seasons late. Uh, we heard a lot of love from James Franklin about Tommy Eichenberg, the leading tackler, said he had a coach crush on the Buckeyes linebacker. Daniel, I think that's the exciting thing about here. Comparatively to the last six matchups, you can point to individual star-on-star scenarios across the field. Uh, you know, no disrespect to the last six opponents, but they weren't Ohio State, who you know, recruits a top five recruiting class every year. So Ohio State, Penn State, where are you looking individually in this matchup? Kind of where the maybe swing the pendulum in one program's favor. In, in terms of the the one-on-one matchups, I mean, you have to start with with Kalen King and Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I, I wrote about that Thursday morning on on Lions twenty four seven, and I did make sure to to add the caveat that you know going into last year's matchup, you know, we were expecting a Joey Porter Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. heavyweight fight, <laughs> and that never really, you know, that didn't really happen. You know, the way that that both teams played each other and. I think after the game, I think even Joey Porter Jr. said something along the lines of like, yeah, I thought we were going to see each other a, a little bit more out there. Um, and it just kind of, you know, didn't happen. Um, so I had to add that caveat in there. But, um, you know, I think that Penn State did a pretty nice job last year when it came to Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, 10 catches for 185 is a you know pretty eye-popping stat line, but um you know, the game was still close, you know, Harrison, you know, didn't, you know, he didn't have a long touchdown catch to, to really break things off or, or anything like that. Like a big you know, compliment, even with that, what you're saying to him. I mean, that's a, that just speaks to the, the level <laughs> of time. I mean, you're, you're saying did a pretty good job. 10 catches, 185. And that, I mean, this guy, he's, he's very highly regarded. I, I mean, very, yeah. very highly regarded. Yeah, I mean, obviously he, he moved the chains. He had some big catches, but there was never a, a moment where it felt like, uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is beating you. I mean, I looked back and C.J. Stroud threw for 354 yards in that game. I was a very, I think it's probably like the quietest 354 um, that that you could see. Um, but so, but I think with Kalen King and Marvin Harrison Jr., I, you know, I think we're going to see them, um, you know, line up across from each other. And you know, this is a, a really big opportunity for Kalen King. Um, and, you know, he acknowledged as much. You know, he was very complimentary of Marvin Harrison Jr., um, just like James Franklin was earlier this week. Uh, Kalen King's quote was that 
Marvin Harrison Jr. just is one of those players that can really do anything um, out there on the field. And I think as James Franklin pointed it out, the fact that he's doing it at 6'4", just makes him even more dangerous. But, you know, Kalen King had a quote where he said that, you know, if he wants to get where he wants to go personally, this is the type of game, this is the type of matchup where he needs to step up um, and, and really show what he can do. So I think that when you talk about just the the straight up, you know, one-on-one offense-defense matchups, um, I think that you, know, you start there with Harrison and King. Um, I, obviously, I think Marvin Harrison is probably going to see some Johnny Dixon. He might even see some Daquan Hardy, might even see some Cam Miller. I think it's going to be a total team effort on the back end when it comes to you know, trying to to stymie Marvin Harrison Jr. a little bit. Um, you know, the health of Emeka Buka, the other starting wide receiver, um, can also play into that a little bit, you know, with how much Ohio State is going to need to lean on him. But, you know, that that's where I start right there. Um, and then the other matchup that I that I highlighted is the is looking at the pass rushers, pass rushes, um, you know, on either side. Yeah, I think that when you talk about, you know, how you can neutralize a player like Marvin Harrison Jr., part of it is, you know, you don't even let the ball get to him. You know, you get to Kyle McCord, um, you know, you force him into to bad decisions or throwaways. So I think how the Penn State pass rush, you know, looks compared to the Ohio State pass rush, because that's really what swung the game last year. Uh, JT Tuamalalau, uh, you know, came up in just every single big spot pretty much. Um, and that really swung the game. So if Penn State, I think that they probably have an edge in a couple of these individual matchups when it comes to ends and tackles. Um, but if they can you know, get the game-changing plays this year that Ohio State got last year, you know, I think that that's something, too, that can really swing a game. I think that you know, Saturday night when we're recording the podcast, we'll look at the sacks column. Um, and I think that there will probably be a correlation to what that looks like versus how the game went. I think, I mean, you have to look at that perimeter because of how it played out uh, and the last time these two teams met and how that derailed everything for Penn State, led to turnovers and led to an Ohio State win. Um, and, and this year you think, okay, well, Olu Fashionu was in that game last year, but Olu Fashionu at that point had only, what, six, seven starts under his belt. It's a different Olu Fashionu here, another year of physical development. Uh, and then you think about, well, you had Chop Robinson and Deza Isaac in that game last year. I'll take these guys, the versions of them this year. We heard from Chop Robinson yesterday about how much bigger, more powerful he is with, with 10 added pounds of weight and able to go inside and this three-man defensive look. I don't know if Chop Robinson could handle that role last year. So there are some familiar faces in this matchup for Penn State, but another year down the line, I think these matchups look pretty good. And, and, and on the flip side, Ohio State's play on the perimeter of the offensive line position has been a question mark since they wrapped up last season. People have wondered, how is that going to look when they get to this kind of a matchup? And you look at Josh Simmons, Josh Fryer. Um, you know, Fryer, I'm kind of circling here as someone who seems ripe for the picking if they're able to unleash, you know, the five men deep defensive end. And we'll get to our predictions in a second, but that feels like a potential tipping point. Maybe Penn State returns the favor a little bit off the edge from last year. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. The head coaches, we just spent a lot of time talking about the players who are going to be in the spotlight, but Ryan Day, James Franklin, no one is going to feel the pressure like those two will entering this matchup. What do you make of, of the stakes involved for the head coaches on both sidelines? 
Let me throw in one more uh, yeah. matchup. I think Cade Stover versus, you know, those Penn State linebackers or safeties. I'm not sure how they're going to go out trying to guard him, but that guy's terrific. And mm-hmm. I wonder if Penn State won't have benefited from some of the good on good work they've done with Theo Johnson and uh, and Tyler Warren. But yeah, with respect to uh, the significance, I mean, the, the greater significance is obviously for James Franklin, right? I mean, you know, Ryan Day may have lost a couple of straight games to uh, to, to Michigan, but you know, we, we see where Penn state's at right now. I mean, they're where they've been, you know, outside of the couple COVID years, the last, you know, four or five years, you know, lo- looking like a new year six team. And how do you take that next step? Well, the next step is winning this game or beating Michigan or winning both, but I don't think you could lose both. So I think from you know, James Franklin talk, talked, uh, this week about, how they've done a good job. Penn State has done a good job of of leveling the playing field, of, of getting close to one of the elite programs. And I think you can't just be close to an elite program anymore. You have to beat the elite program. So I think Ryan Day has established himself uh, at that slightly higher level. They've been to the college football playoff. But I, I'm looking at a situation with James Franklin where not just for him but for the entire program. You know, we've talked about this being the last year of divisional play. Uh, So it really matters. I mean, you know, in the future, you could potentially, you know, lose one of these games. And I know it could still happen this year that they could lose and still find themselves back in the Big Ten championship game. But the road in the future will be much easier than it's been during this goofy divisional play. So as I look at this, yeah, to me, uh, and, and maybe it's just because I cover Penn State all the time, I'm not sure what kind of heat Ryan Day's taking, but to me, this is just a big, big game for James Franklin. It's been 1,846 days, Mark, since you and I, Mark Daniel wasn't part of the equation yet, sat in that press room and saw as raw of emotion as I've ever seen from a head coach after a game, win or lose. And James Franklin came and gave his great two elite speech that I think everyone remembers quite well. It's kind of seared into the brains for Penn State fans. And here we are, all those days later, five years later, almost 2,000 days, and he's talking about tangibly seeing that gap filled now and you can sense that confidence and you can see it in in the fact that Penn State opened as a four and a half point underdog on the road that probably was doesn't happen in the last several years Uh, but this is the last year of the Big Ten East and and it has been Penn State slotted in as third for for a little while now felt like Penn State was was maybe elbowing with, with Michigan then Michigan rises to prominence wins that Big Ten championship and then does it again and Daniel, look, the Big Ten's going to blow up in, in, a, in a tremendous way next year. I don't know what we're all going to make of it and, and how many teams are going to get in the playoffs year by year. But Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, and James Franklin have been the big players here for the last few years. Prior to that, you had Urban Meyer as the leading member of that group. James Franklin, what do you think it would mean from a national perspective, from a brand perspective, if they get on the plane and they're still unbeaten on Saturday late afternoon, early evening? It would be huge. I mean, I think that this would be the the signature win for him. Um, you know, and you know, I guess we'll have to see how the rest of the year would go to, you know, see how it would compare to the 2016 win. You know, that was obviously a significant win for you know, a lot of different reasons. Uh, and that kind of marked Penn State's return uh, to this tier of college football, I guess. Um, but I, I think that this would, it would just be so significant for, for Penn State. Um, you know, we talk about where they are in the national landscape and, you know, the rankings and stuff like that. And, 
They've just kind of been on that periphery. It's felt like for, for most of this year, you know, number six, number seven, you know, not moving, moving down um, that type of thing. But, you know, if you get a win here, I think that it vaults you into that top five conversation. Um, You know, you'll be in that top four conversation when it comes to the college football playoff. Um, But I think that this is really, you know, the way that college football is structured right now. Um, We know all the different ways it's going to change uh, next season, you know, in terms of the realignment with the SEC and the Big Ten, you know, the playoff expanding to 12. Um, You know, I think that, you know, this era, um, I think that if you're Penn State, you know, you can really, really make your mark on it, um, you know, by getting a win here, you know, putting yourself in position to win the Big Ten East, which, you know, the whole time that the Big Ten East has existed has just been an absolute gauntlet um, <laughs> and just brutal every year, as we know from watching our alma maters. Um, and then on top of that, you factor into that it's a four-team playoff. Um, and that I think that, you know, outside of a couple party crashers here and there, you know, it's really been the elite of the elite in college football getting in there. And, you know, and that's where James Franklin wants to be. Um, And so I think that if you're Penn State and you can make a run here, win this game, get yourself in that conversation to be in position to join that club, you know, going into the final five games of the season. I think that's really, really significant um, for the national perception of this program. I think in the future, um, yeah, you know, getting to the Big Ten title game, you know, even after this realignment, uh, it's still going to be hard. You know, it's going to be, I think, pretty brutal. Um, you know, based on the schools that are coming in and the level that they're at, you know, but, you know, getting into a 12 team college football playoff, you know, the barrier to entry is going to be a little bit lower. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't, it's obviously a, an accomplishment to, to be that good and to be in, in that position, you know, to be a top 12 team nationally, but it's going to have a different sort of cash, I think. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the big picture of things. So, you know, I think that Penn state you know, really does have the chance to put itself uh, in contention to be considered one of these elite programs. James Franklin talked about it you know, that gap closing between being a top 10 team and a top five team. Um, but in order to do that, you got to win games and that starts Saturday at Ohio state. And both of these programs can say, well, look, we got a little bit of a safety net because you still got a big opportunity with Michigan matchup down the line. And you can maybe, you know, balance your thing, balance things out and put yourself in college football playoff contention. But this is the last year in college football, unless things scale back. And I don't think they ever will again, where it feels (laughs) like one loss in late October could sink your ship. You know, your first loss of the season could doom you. And that's always the thing with college football. And James Franklin's talked about it with non-conference scheduling discussions about you know, do everything you can to stay unbeaten. Um, let's get into players to watch. We've talked about a bunch of them, but we'll each pick one here before our predictions. And Mark, we begin this one with you. Yeah, I'm going to dial back to 2015 when Penn State played out at Ohio State in what was generally not a really big game. I mean, 38-10 Buckeyes. But the one thing, and it just occurred to me now, that really stood out to me, was how smart the Ohio State fans were because they saw young Saquon Barkley carrying 26 times for 194 yards. He didn't even score. But you could sense in that stadium the the they were gasping at his runs. You know, even though their their team was blowing out Penn State, 
it, it was like they knew how good this guy was. And I think we're going to see that with somebody on the other side of the ball. Not a true freshman, but a sophomore in Abdul Carter. I mentioned it earlier. I think this is going to be a game where he has to play a lot of snaps. I think they're going to ask him to do a lot of things. He's sitting there with 14 tackles on the year. Hasn't had to make many more than that, but he does have some big plays, you know, a sack, an interception, three quarterback hurries. I think he's just waiting to bust out. I think this is the kind of stage where he's going to be at his best, and I think he's going to post some some big numbers. So, And I also think he's going to be vital to what they're able to do defensively. So I get a feeling that we're going to be out there and we're going to hear some of those oohs and ahs over some of the plays that Abdul Carter makes because physically he's that kind of guy. Daniel, your pick? I'm going to go with Harrison Wallace. Uh, I think that we saw you know a little bit of, of what he can bring last week against UMass, uh, fumble aside. Um, but I do think that if Penn State is going to win this game, Drew Aller is going to have to make some big throws. Um, and you know, we saw it in that West Virginia game, um, and we've heard it from players this week, that Drew Aller really, really trusts Harrison Wallace. Um, I think that Wallace is going to come up with a couple big catches to move the chains. I think that Drew Aller is going to look look to him in those situations. Um, and I think that this maybe this is the type of game where you finally see the the explosiveness that we've heard so much about with Harrison Wallace in terms of his athleticism. Now, we haven't seen too, too much outside of that Michigan game last year, I think. Um, but you know, I think that this is the type of game where Harrison Wallace can come up in a really, really big spot, keep this offense on schedule and on the field, and also make some plays himself. Something to note about Drew Aller's first two road starts in Big Ten play, you know, 50% completion. Neither of those matchups involved Harrison Wallace as part of the offensive plan. He was sidelined. So different equation when he's on the field, as we've seen so far. I can't believe you guys are going to let me do this. Daquan Hardy. I mean, we made it 45 minutes into the show. The guy returned two punts for touchdowns last Saturday, fellas. I mean, this is a game where if you can even, you, know, you don't need the touchdown and you take another one and what an historic trend that would be setting. But if you can get uh, chunk plays out and I'm looking at him and Caden Saunders. So I guess it's a pairing here. Caden Saunders, I don't think is getting completely shoved to the sideline here, but how can you not utilize Daquan Hardy after what he flashed last Saturday? And, you know, James Franklin maybe had some remorse about not doing it earlier in his career. So uh, I think Daquan Hardy slash Caden Saunders, if you can find a way to flip the field, you know, turn it, turn a situation where you would have started, you know, inside your own 25 to a spot where you're at midfield all of a sudden, or give your defense a chance or give your offense a chance to take over with possession at the edge of their own red zone. I mean, that could maybe tip the game. I mean, we're talking about that kind of a, a matchup here. So I think special teams plays a more prominent role in this matchup because of how close we expect it to be. And when you think about the special teams theme right now, I guess I could have gone Alex Falcons, but it's a whole hell of a lot sexier for me to pick Daquan Hardy right now. So I'm going to go Daquan Hardy. Let's get to our predictions and our bold predictions for this one. Daniel, you are first up. Yeah, coming into the season, uh, I picked Penn State to finish the year 11-1 and one, uh, with their loss coming to Ohio State. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to move off of 11-1 and one yet, but I don't think that loss, if it happens, will be against Ohio State. Um, and I think that Drew Aller is going to be a big reason why. I think we get that signature Drew Aller performance that we've been waiting for. I think that you know maybe Mike Yersich takes the training wheels off a little bit. The playmakers around Drew Aller show up. Um, and he shows that this is the type of thing that he's built for. You know, the former five-star quarterback, number one, number one quarterback in the class of 2022, you know, going back to his home state, you know, against a school that didn't recruit him until, until the very end. And, 
you know, Drew Aller said this week that, um, you know, he was locked in 100% with Penn State then. He's locked in with Penn State 100% now. And I think that's going to show up with a career day, more than 325 yards uh, for Drew Aller, which would be a new career high and four touchdowns, which would tie his career high from earlier this year. And I think that that leads to a Penn State victory 31 to 27 at the horseshoe. Daniel, if what you describe plays out, I mean, people would sign up for that a thousand times over uh, a couple of signing days ago when the number one quarterback uh, chose Penn State. Uh, wow. Um, that would be quite the message. Mark, what do you got for us? Yeah, I'll go with my uh, bold prediction to start. I, I've said it over and over again that I think Mike Yurcich has not showed us all the wrinkles in his playbook, nor should he have showed us all the wrinkles in his playbook. And I think that manifests itself in Penn State, which has had since Keandre Lambert Smith's 72-yard catch for a touchdown, I think the longest catch has been 33 yards. I think they go way beyond that. Look early in the game for a 50-plus yard touchdown pass. Could be a tight end, could be a receiver, but I think they take the top off early in this game and have some success. Going, Looking at this game in particular, you know, Penn State's lost six straight to Ohio State, but in three of those games, Penn State had the outright lead in the fourth quarter. And in a fourth, the, the score was tied 17-17 in the third. So while this has been a lopsided series score-wise, these have been good games. And I think it's really important that Penn State's in a situation now where you have your head coach and you have both of your coordinators have been here for multiple years. It's been a minute since Penn State's had that luxury. It's been a minute since they've had it with coordinators of this level. You could probably go back to Joe Moorhead and Pry, right? That's that's from my perspective, with all due respect to everybody else. I think that's going to pay off in a close game. I think that's where Penn State's able to pull this one out. Minimizes mistakes. If they make mistakes, I think it's the key to put them in the rearview mirror, especially with a guy like Drew Aller. Sooner or later, he's going to throw throw a pick. Sooner or later, he's going to get you know set blindsided. J just spit it out and you know chew it up and spit it out. Uh, but I do think Penn State wins this one 24 tw uh, 20. And before anybody calls us homers, I would just say go and look at our predictions last year, where our entire panel, save one guy who is probably you know, really the biggest homer that we have on the panel. Uh, and it's not, it's a contributor, not one of the staffers. We all picked Ohio state and Ohio state by a wide margin. So I think we're looking at this from a, from a, a level headed uh, perspective, but I guess we'll see after the game's over. Yeah. I picked Ohio state in this matchup last year and the year before and the year before <laughs> and the five years running, I've picked Ohio state in this matchup. It ends today, folks. Well, it ended Tuesday night when we, when I sent it in to Mark and, and he got it published at lines, 247.com. I'm with you guys, though. I guess I'm drinking the blue Kool-Aid right now because what we have seen from the six six games thus far defensively has exceeded my expectations. I had extremely high expectations for the defense, what they have been able to do up and down the roster over the course of these matchups, regardless of who they're playing, is very impressive. And Manny Diaz, to me right now, he could emerge from this game as the assistant coach storyline across college football. And I think there's been very few years where you look at, at this Penn State-Ohio State matchup and you say, Penn State could take them to the woodshed a little bit here. And, and Very few matchups. I think that could happen with the defensive front versus Penn, versus Ohio State's offensive front, specifically on that perimeter. Um, does that mean they need to dedicate more tight end attention to, to dealing with uh, these edge rushers and chipping guys? And does that 
uh, maybe detract from what a guy like Cade Stover can accomplish downfield as a pass target. There's a lot of different dominoes, but the biggest one is just making Kyle McCord unsettled. For so much discussion about Drew Aller encountering this environment and being a first-year guy, the first start he made was in front of 110,000 people in a, in a primetime setting on Saturday night. I know it was a nice crowd to him. They weren't booing him or yelling mean things about his mother. He's going to hear that kind of stuff in Columbus. But in my mind, Drew Aller is psychologically fitting that five-star bill. I mean, we have talked so much about his arm talent coming out of high school and so much about the size and the advantageous uh, you know, things that he does for you at 6'5", 240 pounds. But what he has been like psychologically since he got to campus and now through these series of games and just hearing from him this week, I'm buying into him being okay in this situation. I'm not buying into him throwing four touchdowns and 350 yards, like Daniel said, and that would be a hell of a thing. I think it's going to be a lot more the same for the offense. Long possessions, keeping Ohio State's defense on the field, that paying off later in the game when the ground game gets going a bit more in the second half. And ultimately, I think the defense is going to make the the impact here, getting McCord's face enough, maybe to the point where they force a fumble in a key moment in that pocket late in the matchup. But that when we look back at this and you say, what's the defining factor? It's going to be the Penn State defense making life rough for Kyle McCord on a consistent basis. Penn State wins 27 to 20. And my bold prediction will kind of just attach right to that defensive performance. I think they'll have at least three trips to the red zone, Ohio State, that don't produce touchdowns. So where that means they got to settle for some field goals if they get aggressive and try to go for it on a fourth down and Penn State comes up with a stop. But I think at least three trips to the red zone for Ohio State that don't produce touchdowns. And, and that ultimately adds up to make the difference here. Guys, you got a great chip lined up, and it's not just about Ohio State, Penn State. Daniel, I know you you, you guys have a segue plan. Tell us a little bit about it, and because and, I know I want to make sure people check out lines247.com for the coverage Friday night and the Saturday morning, because once Saturday noon comes, it's an avalanche of game content at lines247.com. Yeah, Friday night, I'll be heading into the Columbus suburbs uh, from the suburb where I'm staying um, to check in on Ethan Grunkemeyer, uh, the Penn State commit. You know, just got a really, really big boost uh, in the 24-7 sports uh, recruiting rankings for the class of 2024. Um, he and his Olentangy Braves team um, have their final regular season game of the year against Marysville. So, you know, I'll be there. Uh, intern will be there and we'll have some, you know, photos and, and coverage uh, of that. So, you know, if you're up late Friday night, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see that on the site. Uh, when you get up Saturday morning, uh, it'll be there and, you know, Maybe it'll be something that can tide you over a little bit uh, until we get into that 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Uh, noon spot when things are really going to start to ramp up. Yeah, before you go watch the the current Ohio quarterback you know, do his thing for Penn State, you can watch the next one and, and learn more about him from our coverage Friday night into Saturday morning. And, Mark, I, I want to make sure people are aware. Uh, it kind of popped up on us this week, but we've got a 60% off deal going on at Lions247.com. It may not be that on-fire kind of recruiting week with a home matchup, but those are ahead, most notably the Michigan matchup in November. But big commitment this week. Tyler Calvaruso has a fresh target board update for Penn State regarding the 2024 cycle. And of course, now that we're back in the thick and, and past the, the bye weeks and UMasses of the schedule, I mean, this is crunch time and we are locked in. Yeah, a couple things to remember too. Uh, listen, if you're a monthly subscriber, it, it makes zero sense to not take this offer and, and, and go to annual because you're going to save yourself a lot of money. And our statistics, statistics show that the vast majority of monthlies just – over and over and over, renew, renew, renew. So save yourself. You could save yourself a little bit of money by taking taking advantage of this. Also, 
at the end of this, uh, at the end of the promotional period, so a year from now, you'll get free Paramount Plus as part of your subscription. And with with the Big Ten being more and more and more on CBS, that's going to be more and more and more important as time goes on. And remember, we do a lot of VIP coverage. The vast majority of VIP coverage is recruiting stuff by Tyler and uh, Calvaruso and Doan and and everybody. But we also do a lot of VIP team coverage. I mean, practice notes, you know, stuff from games, on location, wherever we go. So it's definitely worth your while to get plugged in. 60% off comes out to less than 12 cents per day. It's a good time to jump on board uh, because, you know, if they're, if they're able to win, uh, then people will be really ramped up. But we're saying for hardcore Penn State fans, we're, we're building this as a big game week special. The hardest of hardcore Penn State fans aren't around just for the big game. They're around all year, and you know you're going to be around all year. So take the plunge, 60% off. You'll save yourself some money and help support the site. Plus, if they win, we're bumping it up about five dollars a month, right? I mean, they're seven yeah. yeah. out of state. This is a little, yeah, you gotta pay for the access. No, it, it, I'm just kidding, of course, but this is the time. Um, and, and you know, if there is any kind of opportunity for access to Penn State football coverage, and, and we mean in the season, out of the season, we will not miss it, which means you will not miss it if you're subscribing. Good stuff from Mark and Daniel. Uh, taking the show on the road this weekend to Columbus. You will hear from Daniel and I in a post-game podcast setting, and we'll have plenty to discuss. What we'll be discussing remains to be determined, but it's going to go a long way toward determining the trajectory of this 2023 season. Guys, appreciate the conversation on the podcast. Get there safe, and uh, look forward to your coverage from Columbus. Will do. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. All right. On behalf of everyone here at Lions247.com, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll catch up with you soon right here in the Lions247 podcast. Mm -hmm.